Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I'm Aaron Schweitzer, your host, along with the region's most enterprising reporter, Laurel Bronze. This podcast is powered by The Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. This podcast is also generously supported by Worthy Brewing, putting education first, utilizing green technologies, and experimenting daily to brew the best damn beer in the Pacific Northwest while treading as lightly on the earth as possible. Did you hear that, Laurel? I actually got it that time. <laughs> Living out our mantra, earth first, beer second. We are joined today by Cameron Clark. Cameron first worked as a student activities administrator at the University of Redlands, California, moved to Bend in 1990 to found Cameron Clark Concert Productions, later C3 Events. He started Munchin Music, which has been going for 30 years now. He also created the Ben Summer Festival, Clear Summer Nights Concert Series, Ben Fall Festival, and Munch and Movies. Uh, he is also the founder of an effort called Project Art Infusion, where musicians, artists, and live plants come into a room where cancer patients are getting chemotherapy in the hospital. Cameron, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's like a virtually happy thing. <laughs> yeah. It's good to reconnect. Hey, I've heard good things about the farmer's market and all the work that um, you put in. Melissa, I know, has done a lot of work as well. Um, how's that going for you? Well, you know, I have to, I have to tell you that I had a conversation with uh, one of the other um, large event organizing company owners in town shortly before we launched that. Um, and his comment to me was, we are all rooting for you. You are going to pave the way. Um, and until he... <laughs> Until he said that, it didn't dawn on me that there was a certain amount of gravity around just whether or not there was going to be a proof of concept, whether you could actually do a large gathered group of people in a sort of social distance context. Um, and, uh, and that gravity really propelled us to really bear down. We actually uh, postponed the event by a couple extra weeks to spend some extra time doing some extra thinking about um, how to do it right. Um, knowing that we could not require people to wear masks in, with any sort of enforcement side of that, the whole task felt really daunting. Um, in addition to that, when, you know, on the front side of pandemic, when you're, when we're back in March, April, and May, and you're imagining the kinds of crowds that we were having at that farmer's market for the previous few years, um, there's this huge responsibility to do no harm. Right. Uh, like you're trying to do this good thing and you don't want people to get sick and die in the process of trying to do something good. Um, so we felt from the beginning, we felt like um, what we were going to be doing was providing an open air uh, food and shopping experience um, that was going to be an alternative to uh, having crappy HVAC in a, in a grocery store. Um, okay. And that's not to say that a lot of grocery stores haven't done a really good job as well. It's just to say like that was gonna be one of the great advantages is that we've learned the cdc has learned data is showing that outside is infinitely safer than inside um and we felt like that was important we also felt like uh keeping the lights on somewhere to some ritual to some iconic something in this town yeah. was going to have some emotional uh effects on the greater community um and so th those two things and then just from a pure business vantage point trying to keep the market's momentum. We had been in, in 2019, we were in a situation where we'd actually run out of room and we're turning vendors away. 
Um, we wanted to try and see if we could keep the business model intact as much as possible and keep sort of the, um, the viability of the market so that when we do open back up someday, we would, we would have done something to sub. So none of that had anything to do with making money. The market's not going to make money this year. Um, the, the expenses around that COVID related stuff boosted the cost of the market by probably 40%. Um, and revenue is down about 40%. Um, so, so it was never going to be this, like, uh, we're going to go out and make a bunch of money, but we felt like those three things we just mentioned, uh, made it an important enterprise to try and engage in. Um, and, uh, it, it has been exactly that. We're really super pleased with, um, sort of the activity of the, both the vendors on site and how they've shown up and been uber responsible, um, and positive, the positivity and the, the the crowd that's attending the 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 market shoppers that come um that, that had made it a ritual before that it was important to they're showing up with masks on and they're paying attention to their their the the body space around them and uh there's something that's been incredibly uplifting about that experience every saturday hey cameron maybe for i know people who come to farmers markets and festivals they you know, they get to meet the vendors and stuff, but maybe you could speak to how important the festivals are to that class of merchants. You know, I think that they sometimes get overlooked and, um, and what a key role they play in, you know, not the economy, the arts, just, could you speak a little bit to that? Well, yeah. So do you want me to talk about festivals or the farmer's market vendors? I mean, both, they each have their sort of unique thing, you know, the whole sure. independent artist thing. What, if you're producing a summer or fall festival um, or the, the art festival that's down on the river in the Old Mill District, if you're, if you're producing that, you're literally supporting, you know, 100 to 250 mom and pop fine artists where that is how they make their living. Um, and many of them are local. Um, and, and that, that's a super important thing to consider. Similarly with a farmer's market, there's like a chain of supply thing going on, a food chain thing going on where these people have been growing and growing and growing and farmer's markets are a huge part of that outlet where it literally goes directly from the farm into people's pockets. Um, and when you take that step away, their business is enormously impacted and uh, you see a chain broken down there that, that has great dire consequences for local economy and, and local healthy economy. Um, and that was, a, that was a giant sort of driving piece behind our, when I talk about having the event be viable, I'm, I'm really talking about um, those vendors being able to sustain themselves and stay in business. Sure. Um, and so while their business is down, many of them are just pleased that there's something going on and that they're able to make something up from this insane sort of uh, closed down experience that we're having. And I, and I would guess, I mean, I, you, you'd have to tell me what you know, but I, I would guess that if there are art festivals that are figuring out how to do social distance, that it would be a really similar thing that these people have been like working as creatives all year in order to go out into the season that all that's been shut down and that there's just a whole world of hurt in the sort of independent creative universe as well. Yeah, it's one of the things I worry about the most. I mean, most of the artists that we see at festivals, as you know, you see them one time a year, you reconnect with them, and then they're off to another city to do a similar yeah, thing. And the, the, ones life. That, the ones that I have talked to did lay up a lot of, you know, craft work or pottery paintings that they had yeah. planned on doing. It's their time, you know, when they, when they are creative and they build up their stock. 
And now they're sitting on it and there aren't a lot of, I haven't heard of a lot of festivals or art gatherings that have managed to figure out how to navigate the way you have a farmer's market environment. Well, and I think that's, there's a, there's a proof of concept going over at our farmer's market. And I, I would urge you and anyone else that's interested in uh, reimagining how we might be able to do some of these things. Clearly parts of the business model in giant festival land are going to, are going to fall apart. You just can't have a mob of people drinking side by side, shoulder to shoulder. Just can't yeah. do that responsibly. That that's gone. But can you have, can you have vendors? Can you support that local economy? Can you support those creatives? Can you support the people in the food chain? by creating, uh, innovating a way for people to go down one side of the street one way and down the other side of the street another way, uh, by uh, doing all kinds of signage, by having checkpoints and people monitoring whether people are wearing masks. By uh, Like every one of our entry points at that market, there are six core ones. There's a basket full of masks and there's hand sanitizer at each of those places. So no one has to enter that event without being masked up and, and having their hands clean. Um, can can other event organizers look at those things and um, and reimagine how to do them in a way where people aren't getting sick? I think between that and the fact that the Oregon Authority, the Oregon Health Authority, isn't finding traces back to the protests um, that we're seeing these protests where 98% of the people are masking up during the Black Lives Matter protests. Not a single case has been traced back here in Central Oregon to that. I think there's some there's some important data there for us to learn and figure out how to re-engineer these things. Um, with all of maybe let's take a thirty thousand foot look at. I know you've been instrumental in with uh, producing the athletic club shows. What do you think it means for Ben's community culture when you know you do see a lot of these uh, events not taking place? this year probably and um you know no end in sight i think the social health index is going to be impacted yeah um so if you if you look at um uh social gathering as a core foundation of how a community keeps its mental health and physical health well uh, they do when they have a sense of connectivity um, and all these events that have sort of pro propagated and been germinated and have grown into really robust functioning things throughout the entire region here, those things are contributing to that collective sense of, of uh, where our health index, happiness, physical health, all those things are so lifestyle medicine, all of that being what it is, um, communities that gather have a higher social health index. Um, and so I suspect there, there, no one's going to do this research, but I suspect that in the absence of all of that, you're, you're going to find people that are, uh, uh, there are drinking problems and drug related issues. And, and there are going to be, there's going to be more depression and anxiety, a greater sense of isolation. There's going to be all kinds of things that are unfolding at where, where the ending of gathering is one piece of that, but it's not a tiny piece. It's an important piece. And I, I think people live here and they come to look forward to that. And there's just a sense of despair attached to not being able to see people and meet new people and hug people and connect with people. And that's sort of what we're in the business of. Yeah, I worry. One of the things I worry about is that um, when there's discussions about the impact of the virus on a community that we don't talk about, the term social health index doesn't come up. We talk about economics. We talk about um, safety, but you know, I think there aren't those other things that go into the equation. People like to joke about how they're binging Netflix and how many Netflix programs they're seeing and watching as if 
that might somehow fill that gap. And I just don't, I know it won't. Well, I can tell you that about two months ago, uh, I started banning this very thing we're doing right now. I stopped Zooming. Um, <laughs> I stopped texting. Um, I stopped online dating. Um, like I was, I, it was enough. It was, a, there was enough like faux, <laughs> faux connection because there is certainly there's a certain connectivity that happens in social media. That's important for sure. Um, but it okay. isn't, there's a surreality to it as well. And so there, there is something about being in the open air, um, and actually connecting with someone, whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time, um, that has an emotional, uh, a positive emotional consequence where, in that positivity, your physical consequence is also um, uh, brighter. Um, and so, no, no one is talking about the value of gathering. And ha- having said that, what I what I believe to be true, uh, and I've been saying this from the beginning um, when I was first interviewed by a few different pubs uh, about this issue, I believe that when we do reopen. Um, that people are going to have a newfound appreciation for just, just the, the, that these things aren't aren't just an entertainment umbrella. They're not just like fun. There's something that's sort of a core part of who we are as humans sure. is that we want connection. We long for connection. We need connection, and it and it adds to our sense of health and vitality. And and people are going to feel that more than ever. I'm sure of that. And and they're going to be needed more than ever. Yeah. I'm also often asked with regard to festivals, you know, about the economic impact and people like to get in there and they like to crunch numbers, but it is that sense that you don't run into, you know, Sue, Bobby, James, your friend that you, you know, you're not, they're not the kind of people that you're going to make direct phone calls to or text or hook up with, but you like seeing them on the street. You've known them forever. They've been in Bend forever. And it's the only place you'll see them. I, I'm, I'm often, you know, stunned by someone will say, Hey, have you seen so-and-so? And no, I haven't seen them. Cause I usually yeah. run into them at the festivals right. at a concert. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. You know, that, that it's, it's a hard thing to make the connection between the economic and the community gathering sense of connection thing. Those two things, it's, it, it, it feels pretty abstract. I, I do, you, you mentioned when you were talking about my bio, about my history of working as a college administrator, I, I, did, I did work in student life as both an undergraduate and as a graduate student. And that is one of the few places where that link, where there was research and data done to create that link. Um, as you might remember going to university, like there's all kinds of creative social events that happen all over campus. And as much as that, you'd like to think that there's some altruistic thing going on there where the campus is just doing right by the students. Actually, there's data that shows students who don't feel a sense of connectivity on their campus, they leave, they find a different college. The attrition rate is through the roof. And so colleges started figuring that out and started literally investing in gathering. Um, And that was where I came from. That was the place I I used the arts as a model to to connect people and to develop a sense of community. Um, In that microcosm, I learned how to do that. And it absolutely applies out and about to the exact sort of social interactions you just described. If people have that sense, whether it's impromptu or whether it's intentional, they have that sense of like, I'm, I feel like I belong. Um, Their, their health and their sense of happiness is astronomically different than if they don't have those things. Yeah. Laurel, I don't want to hog the floor up. Do you, uh, other questions that you might have? Yeah, sure, Cameron. I just wondered um, along those lines, I know that 
Um, you've been here for you know, three decades and you've probably formed a lot of close relationships with musicians. So I was just wondering if you could speak to what you've seen out there about what they're going through and um, if there's any ways that they've been kind of pivoting or if they've even been able to access any government assistance or things like that. No, I kind of wish we were Canada. Um, I mean, not, not, only, not only is Canada looking after their citizens with a monthly uh, portion of salary, but they're also taking care of their artists um, because they, they see that whole thing as a central thing. I, uh, you know, our arts and entertainment and uh, culture world is imploding right now. Venues are going to be closing, like iconic venues. I read something recently about Red Rocks being in dire trouble. Um, I'm watching the Tower Theater, which I think is is absolutely iconic in Bend. Um, and, the, you know, the idea of having 70 people in there makes me incredibly nervous. Um, but they're doing what they can to try and stay viable, to, to not go under, to keep lights on. And I, everyone is trying to figure out how to do that. And it's in that culture you mentioned, am I seeing innovation? I, I just read a recent article about the CEO of William Morris Talent Agency saying that he doesn't think anything's really coming back until 22. He doesn't think 21 is going to be it. And he, he was roundly mocking several of the ideas and innovations that are out there because, quite frankly, most of them are really imperfect. Um, yeah. Like, we were actually looking at trying to make a pivot, and Munchin Music was supposed to turn 30 years old this year. Um, and we were all over Central Oregon looking for a wide-open field location where we could do, do that as a drive-in music series. Uh, borrowing a cue from what's going on in Denmark. Uh, Denmark's been doing a series of these things that have been wildly successful. Does it sound like it would be amazing? No. Does it sound like it would make people feel like they're gathering around the arts and there'd be some emotional benefit to that? Yes, it absolutely sounds like that. So can we keep thinking in those terms? Um, I am right now, currently, I'm buttressed by the fact that the Sisters Folk Festival um, is doing a uh, social distance concert for 250 people um, on August 1st that they're creating these pods zones for people could buy two, four, six, eight, I think. And it sold out immediately. Um, and I'm going to go attend that and watch that and look to see what I can't learn. And, and a bunch of my thought energy this summer has been spent like, how do we innovate in the time of, uh, of COVID-19, how can we, can we create a series of 250 person concerts? When they're ready, can we bump that up to 500 person concerts for shows that would normally be 2000 people? Like we are imagining those things right now. We're trying to run ahead of that. Um, I'd love to talk to Aaron about how he could do an art festival um, without some of the other pieces to that that would keep those things going given how the farmer's market has been successful keeping people safe. Um, I think there are ways to innovate. I think that music, I think the fact that music has gone largely quiet is a really sort of metaphorical thing going on for all of us. Like when the music stops, the soundtrack of joy goes away and we're all feeling that. Absolutely. And so the more and more people can innovate, um, I, I think we're going to, we're going to see a lot of that in 2021. Cameron, with regard to the innovation, I mean, one of the things I've always admired about you is your enthusiasm and your energy for wading into these regulations. And, you know, certainly right now, it's a daily, weekly, if not daily, changing landscape on what's allowed and what isn't allowed. Do you get the sense that, um, 
you get the sense that there's real momentum there to make these cultural events happen? I mean, how, how are you seeing the regulatory environment? No, no. I, and I don't know about the two of you, but I, I, you know, when this whole thing began, I went into my typical um, center fielder catching as many fly balls as I could. And I'm, I'm going to throw it and I'm going to see what happens if I throw a third, if I throw a first. Like I went into that, like, what are all the possibilities and how can we, and every time I did that, COVID won. Uh, yeah. Like it was Cameron zero, COVID 10. Um, and after, after sort of having my ass handed to me enough times, I, I decided that like the right word of this season is surrender. Like, no, there's no winning. Uh, there, there is only planning. And, and so if you can take those sizable event planning skills uh, that Lay It Out Events has and go into like a plan A, B, C, D, E, F, and G mode around like if this, then this, if this, then this, if this, then this, that's how innovation is going to unfold. Uh, because COVID is going to make these calls. The politicians that are making good and bad decisions and how they're dancing with COVID are going to impact what we can and can't do. And sure. I just want to be in a position to do something once those places land in certain places, knowing that um, we can only surrender for now. Yeah, I, I, that's, I found the level of, um, yeah, I'm at zero too. If it's, if it's any, uh, any consolation, I, uh, I'm probably nine and oh and nine. But uh, I think there's some, I think there's some power in that low, just acknowledging <laughs> that rather than just like beating your head into a wall, just saying like, I have no power. And yeah. from that place, what is it we can do? And that's what, like, you know, Shannon with Siona Production, she and I are meeting once a week to go, what can we do? Um, and uh, I, just in the spirit of that, there's something that feels positive and healthy. And I, and I think that uh, COVID invited the world, whether it was politics or society or, or local governments, or it, it invited everyone to look at through a lens that was incredibly black and white. Um, and I think we're going to have to get out of that box and start looking at third and fourth ways instead of first and second ways um, that where the principal concern is safety. Um, and if we start innovating these events as though it doesn't matter what the political noise is or the regulatory noise is, it doesn't matter how many people are dying, how can we do these things and keep people safe and well and bring up the spirits of people, even if it's a few people at a time, how can we do that? And I, and I think those are the questions we need to be asking ourselves. Uh, Cameron, as we move forward, um, how long, what do you think that window is going to be? I know I've gotten exhausted doing my own crystal ball look, but do you feel like, uh, there's a horizon for, are you looking for next summer? Are you thinking fall and winter? What's the innovation I, timeline? I think if, uh, I think November is going to have a lot to say about that. Yeah. Um, because I think if we get some national leadership that requires a little more draconian behavior of its citizens, um, then it's going to speed up our ability, not unlike most of the rest of the world, quite frankly, it'll speed up our ability to get back to doing things the way we need to do them. I, I've been waiting for a pharmaceutical treatment more than I have been a vaccine because I feel like uh, events are going to become more viable when the virus stops killing as many people as it's killing, when when there's treatment that knocks down the mortality rate and keeps people alive. Um, so that's one thing I'm keeping my eye on, less so the vaccine, um, because yeah. I just think that with trials and everything, that's just the ways out. Um, and then, and so, so for me, I feel like if we, if we end up with some national leadership that changes some of the cultural behaviors 
to a more hardcore policy of mask wearing and social distancing, um, which is going to be greeted with negative responses on both sides of the ideological spectrum for sure. But if we can do that, Canada is such a classic example. The same, it's a country the same size as the state of Texas, uh, where like they didn't actually go into a full blown shutdown because its citizens actually did what they were asked. Um, and so the, the rate of cases they have, they're going to get back to the arts and gathering way faster than we are. So November, I think if, uh, I think if there's a, a, a bit of a democratic push, we're going to see uh, some cultural shifts that will lead to us being through this faster. And if not, I think 21 could be off the table. I do. I yeah. think we might be waiting until 22. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm work looking at a as much as a political solution as I am a medical solution for a lot of this. And I, I think, it is. you know, you want, you want some consistent leadership or at least something that's going to bring people together during this times, which I, I just don't see right now. No, we don't. We have the opposite of that. Yeah. So, so I do, I think you said that perfectly. I think that there is political leadership and there are medical solutions that are going to have to walk hand in hand first to get out of this giant hole we're in and for, I mean, the arts and events gathering, public community gathering, that, I mean, like, what took a bigger hit than that? Nothing. Um, I mean, maybe Major League Sports. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, those two things are going to have to be profoundly different than they are right now uh, in order for us to, uh, to, to move on. Cameron, we're at the end of our time right now. Is there uh, anything you want to touch on that we haven't spoken to? Anything you want to say about the market that we didn't touch base on? No, I'm just, uh, th thanks for the opportunity to get to talk about this a little bit. I, I just would reiterate that I think that as despairing as that last thought was, we just shared that even in the middle of whatever the, whatever the, the political landscape is, I think there are going to be downsized innovations waiting for us to grow some color and create some beauty. Um, because I mean, art just doesn't stay down. It just doesn't. Yeah. Art, art is going to respond. And I hope that folks like you and I have an opportunity to uh, be in a position to lead and innovate some of that to create um, some replacement opportunities for folks in Central Oregon. That would be a really good thing. Yeah, I, I do think the positive, you mentioned it earlier uh, as we were talking, that uh, I do think there's going to be a bigger appreciation for the arts. I think it's the thing that's been shut off the hardest. I think gathering has been shut down. And man, I can tell you, like you get in close proximity somebody you haven't seen in a while it's like oh, oh, oh. You know, i know yeah it's awkward, but you know if you're a hugger it's a problem i think i think a, a great final note for me on this whole thing is that one of my forecasts of what's going to happen when we open back up is there's going to be a whole lot of awkward hugging and a whole lot of awkward dancing yeah <laughs> i see i see those two things happening a lot yeah yeah right well, Cameron, thanks a lot for your time. This is the Ben Don't Break podcast. Uh, Cameron Clark has been our guest, and uh, really appreciate you taking taking a moment yeah, for us. Thanks for having me. All right, bye.